This is the United on Wheels podcast, a monthly conversation about life as wheelchair users from the United Spinal Association. I'm your host, Brooke McCall, a member of United Spinal's advocacy team and a 16-year veteran of the high-quad life. It's February, and whether or not you choose to celebrate Valentine's Day, the outside of heart scenarios provides a good excuse to talk about love. For a lot of us, figuring out how to find an attractive partner after spinal cord injury can seem like a mystery. And I don't know about you, but the only instruction I received about relationships and rehab was a pretty awful VHS that focused pretty much exclusively on male sexual functioning. In fact, as the only girl in the audience, I distinctly remember summoning up the courage to approach the instructor afterwards to ask, what about me? Given that women have their own set of unique considerations when finding love after paralysis, we are getting lady-centric this month and focusing on dating and relationships from the female perspective. I feel very lucky to be joined today by two well-informed and active quads to discuss our experiences with putting ourselves back out there to find romance and finding partnership in a wheelchair. My first guest, Lindsay Frazinger, is a standout C6 incomplete quad. For six years today, Lindsay has lived up to her Quadzilla nickname, relying on a manual wheelchair or crutches for mobility. And side note, she has gone on first dates in both. While she's not living, when she's not living it up with her pack of dogs or adventuring with her husband of two and a half years, Lindsay is busy pursuing her doctorate of nursing from the University of Michigan. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> My second guest is the newly engaged Allie Ingersoll. As an SCI lifestyle blogger, Allie shares her insights and anecdotes as a C5 Complete Quad and PowerChair user via QuirkyQuadDiaries.com and Push Living Magazine. A world traveler both before and after her injury, Allie's love for exploration and her willingness to try new things both carried over into her dating life after paralysis. It's nice to have you here, Allie. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. To get things started and give a little context to each of your journeys, let's touch on your dating life at your time of injury. For example, I was injured during college not too long after ending a long-term relationship with my high school boyfriend. So, while I had a few months to explore casual dating before my injury, the majority of my romance history has been as a plot. How about you, Allie? I was injured at 27, um, eight and a half years ago, a shallow water diving accident at my home in the Bahamas, leaving me a C6 quad. So I had a pretty active dating life uh, before, and it changed wildly after I went through a dormant period for about five years. And, Lindsay, what was your experience? Um, so for me, my accident happened when I was 26. Um, I was in anesthesia school at the time, getting my master's in anesthesia, so I was pretty busy with that, but I was still dating um, very actively at the time, and um, and I had gotten out of a seven-year relationship, but it was, oh gosh, probably two and a half or three years prior to the accident, um, and then, yeah, after my accident, things changed somewhat drastically, but I had a strange situation in that um, when my accident happened, I was on my way to meet a guy for the first date, and I didn't make it there, and so he visited me in the ICU and then ended up proposing six months later, and um, I was heavily medicated at the time, so I didn't um, realize all of the flaws in um, our compatibility Um, and when I weaned off of my narcotics I started recognizing that our relationship was not going to work so six months after we got engaged um, we broke things off and that was um, February of 2014 my accident happened in 2013 um, and then after that, I took about two weeks of being upset and angry, and then my friend uh, suggested I get into um, online dating, and they signed me up for Tinder, 
And that's where my dating life started after the injury was on Tinder. I was on OkCupid. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Online dating makes, um, I think, that transition a lot easier for those of us who oh, were stuck out. Really a lot in the in the beginning and then, um, yeah, and then getting to make that transition and not have, like, as much of the re- rejection factor when you're, you know, newly injured. I know I, I was a little bit more scared to, you know, just get right in front of someone and, and start flirting. Um, so I don't know yeah. about you ladies. You, you both kind of touched on it a bit, but um, I was definitely preoccupied with daily routines and kind of re- redefining my independence for, for me, it was at least a year um, before I started dating. And um, I want to just kind of ask you, Lindsay, you mentioned you did get back and um, you had had that initial relationship. Uh, oddly enough, I remember that I also had a date on the night of my um, accident and he had wanted to come uh, hang out in the rehab. So maybe that's a, a, a tale. I, I was like, no, too much. You can't meet me here. But um, anyhow, mm-hmm. um, Lindsay, I wanted to know just how did you know you were ready? You know, what, what made you realize you were um, it was time to get back up. Um, you know, my thing was that um, in the past, if I had a failed relationship, a lot of times it helped me just to realize that I could get out there and meet other people. And it wasn't so much about, like, meeting somebody for a relationship, but it was <laughs> about, you know, can I meet people that still find me attractive and interesting and so after the accident it was just kind of that same mentality kicked in again where I was like you know I am feeling rejected right now and the best way for me to stop feeling rejected is to put myself out there and see if you know people still found me attractive and interesting and I found that online dating was the best way to do that because it's difficult to approach people in the, you know, in the traditional settings, Um, be it, you know, because we're a lot shorter than them. And so it's just like hard to get people's attention. And then they look at us and the first thing they see a lot of times is the wheelchair And I feel like with online dating, you know, you put up some pictures and you have a bit of an explanation there. And then you're able to have a conversation with the person and have them realize that there's more to you than just a disability, right? And then they realize, oh, I want to meet this person or, oh, I'm not cut out for this. And, you know, it's... It took away that, like, feeling of rejection that you'd feel if you just went out to, like, a bar and tried to meet people because you're there with a bunch of women in heels and, you know, short skirts and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's like competing. And it's just, it's very different in the online world, I found. I agree. Allie, what were your experiences then? First, like, what helped you know it was time? And then what are some of the things you noticed early on about dating after spinal cord injury? Well, before my spinal cord injury, I was very active in dating, and I had no desire for a relationship, so I kind of just bounced around from guy to guy. And I was, you know, I was very sexual. And then I broke my neck, and I was one of those unlucky quads who dealt with medical nightmares for multiple spinal surgeries, pressure sore surgeries for about almost like five straight years, six straight years. Um, and so during that time when I was first injured, I also gained a lot of weight and I lost it after about two years, but I didn't feel sexual and I didn't even like hanging around myself. So dating wasn't really an option for me. And finally, after kind of recovering, um, I moved to China for a few years, so that kind of killed my dating life. And I moved back to Raleigh in 2015 and I just woke up one day and I said, you know what? I feel better. I'm nothing medically is going on. I just feel like I feel like trying dating and see what it's like. And so I went on online dating and um, I had no desire for a relationship. I had no idea what guys were going to expect, and nor did I really care. 
I just wanted to explore um, my sexuality because I hadn't had sex for like five years <laughs> and I didn't know what it was going to be like. And so I started a massive dating experiment where um, I was really open on my profile and, you know, kind of funny and quirky. And um, I started dating about four guys at the same time. <laughs> it was very exhausting. <laughs> I had to plan out my days accordingly. And just kind of exploring, you know, having sex and getting to know guys. And some of the guys were like, you know, I think you're great, but I just can't handle a wheelchair. And I didn't really take that offensively. I was like, all right, that's cool. Some guys don't want to date very large women. I get it. There's a lot that goes with a wheelchair. And I kind of just moved on to the next. And I never really got my feelings hurt prior because I'd never really been in a serious relationship my whole life. So it wasn't really on the forefront of my mind. Um, and then I developed a major pressure sore while in my dating experiment, and I was having to go in for flap surgery, and I broke up with all the guys, and I made up a reason, and uh, we got my fian- my now fiance is like, no, no, I'm not breaking up with you, I like hanging out with you too much, and we'd only been dating about a month, um, and he just came to the ICU and kept visiting me, and he's like, I'll get to know you the old-fashioned way, we can put sex on hold for a while, I thought he was absolutely crazy, but he, uh, he grew on me over the months. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I really appreciate your your unique ability to to take that as uh, take all of dating and um, experimenting as as research. So, really no yeah, it was unusual. Um, yeah. Um, so what I'm hearing from you, and I know Lindsay, I think uh, you would probably agree. Um, uh, the both of you uh, were pretty gung-ho. You know, it didn't. Um, you probably didn't have as much of a hurdle as some people have getting back out into the world. And um, I know some people are just tentative. Um, are there some hints you might have on um, that that you just found were really helpful for you? Um, like you said, kind of laying things out there um, on online dating, which does usually open up a, a nice opportunity to kind of get some of that information out that you're not um, having to have, you know, on a first blind date and be like, by the way, I am in a wheelchair and I don't, you know, you don't want people to overthink it, but are there any um, specific strategies you found that worked better, Lindsay? Um, For me, I kept my online profile pretty vague. Um, I did, you know, I included pictures, um, you know, with me, with my crutches, because I use um, crutches and a wheelchair for mobility. And then I also, you know, had maybe one picture in the wheelchair, and then the rest were just kind of like profile pics, you know. Um, and then from there, I kept it vague, but I did mention, you know, the disability and the fact that, you know, I'd overcome some, um, you know, some barriers and that I was, you know, um, like, you know, mostly independent, like things like that. And then, um, but I left it kind of open in a way that forced them to have to ask questions during the, Mm -hmm. um, during the conversation phase, because I felt like if I put too, like when I first started, I put too much, I think, in the, the profile part. And so it was like, you'd read it and it was almost like too much information, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I found that keeping it a little more vague and then, you know, but being really open once we got to the conversation part, um, that seemed to help at least get more, I guess, hits, you know, or like, because with Tinder, it's like, you know, oh, you have a match. Like it, for me, it just seemed that I got more matches, the more um, uh kind of vague I was in the beginning, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I think it it is a unique experience to find the right balance of what you want to disclose. And then I also agree. I love when people ask me questions. Um, I know that I've found on occasion, I think um, men are trying to be considerate and they don't ask questions because they want to just be nonchalant and no worries, you know, we'll figure this out. But I actually, um, yeah, I really value that. And it makes me want to meet someone in person if they've taken the time to inquire. And I've run into that uh, that problem a couple times because I've asked people, you know, why didn't you ask? Weren't you curious? Um, and they just said, oh, no, I just didn't want to seem like a big deal. But um, I know for our side, 
we like being asked those questions. It definitely puts me at ease having the opportunities to relate some of that information. Um, Ali, what about you? Did you have um, some specific strategies you thought um, worked better in finding a, a well-matched? Um, yeah, team? I agree with Lindsay. I mean, I messed up with my profile in the beginning. At first, I had too much information and then too little information, and I, I actually created an Excel spreadsheet, and, um, and I changed my profile on a weekly basis. And then I analyzed the amount of statistics I would get of the guys that would hit and write me versus like. So I kind of found a happy balance after about six weeks where I put just enough, like I'm in a wheelchair, these are my interests. I laid out some things, you know, pretty boldly on my profile. Like the answer to your question is from a sexual perspective, yes, I can't have sex. But if you are interested in just having sex with me because of my wheelchair, it's best to move on, you know. So I was kind of I, I was kind of um, comical about it, but I think you do. I mean, I did all my pictures did have my wheelchair for the most part, except for a couple headshots. But you know, I do think there's a fine balance of putting too much and too little. Um, and I was uh, whenever I would meet the guys, I would always uh, insist on an alcoholic beverage to start, and I would loosen them up to talk about asking those uncomfortable questions. And we never got to many of them. I would say on the first date, um, we would just talk. I would. I found that I can make them feel more comfortable with the wheelchair, and I find that not just with dating, but with a lot of people, just because a lot of people, you know, they're trying to be kind and they're nervous, and, you know, so I just try to make people feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I found that there are, like, common questions that people tend to have, and so yeah. um, when I would go on first dates, a lot of times I would just answer those questions before they even asked, you know, yeah, like in, I did like the same in kind of the first part of conversation. That way it was like, first of all, it was giving them information that they, that I know most people want. And then second of all, it made them feel more comfortable to ask other questions because mm-hmm. I was already opening up a about some more personal aspects of my life, like, you know, things like I would tell them, like, hey, on a first date, we need to make sure that there's a bathroom that I can get in and out of because I have to empty my bladder with a catheter, you know, and so it's things like that where it's like and answering their question before they ask, like, so what about bathroom stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah, so fine balance of not talking about too much bathroom stuff in the beginning, but getting some of the basics. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not going to tell them about my bowel program, but, like, yeah, yeah I think to tell them <laughs> not that yet, anyway. that's accessible so that I can chat, you know? <laughs> I agree. I think it's a, it's a pretty good icebreaker. I know that um, So since I'm um, less independent than um, the two of you, Often I'm, I'm having someone drive me. Uh, it's actually like a pretty big, I think, bonding step when I, I invite them over and I said, okay, you know, you're, you're in charge. So I'm going to have you drive me. And then, um, you know, I teach them how to empty my leg bag. And yeah, it's like kind of. I'm with you, Brooke. I just say I have leg bag and I have them drive. I'm with you on that. Yeah. But I, it's really um, been an interesting thing to hear back from them. Some of the men I've been in relationships with, and they've said, you know, um, that was great. You know, I don't get to have that level of in- intimacy generally with someone or even um, help someone out. You know, it's something that they have often found really refreshing. And yeah, I didn't know that they really like helping you out. I wouldn't have expected it. So um, do you guys have any um, surprise? Uh, like surprise benefits or um, things that you've just over time really come to re- uh, appreciate um, in your injury or post-injury in your dating or relationship life? Um, so for me, I I was recently I was talking to somebody about this, and you know I'm I'm tall, I have blonde hair, blue eyes, big boobs. I used to have a big, well, I used to have big boobs and a big butt, but I've lost a lot of weight. But, um, you know, and I was real fit and everything, but I was also very smart. And prior to my injury, no man was really interested in my intellect to begin with. 
like that was never something that attracted them to me in the very beginning. They were always first attracted to like, oh my gosh, she's hot and, you know, that's all that matters. And um, <laughs> post-injury, I've really, I mean, I really realized, especially with the online dating thing, that the men that I was interacting with that really wanted to, like, you know, meet me and get to know me and stuff like that, they were impressed by my intellect and my personality and my, like, you know, um, my, like, fortitude and things like that. And so it was cool to me to finally have um, men see that side of me, which is the side that, like, I've worked on and I'm proud on of. It's not mm-hmm. just genetic, if that makes sense. Whereas mm-hmm. the other stuff is just genes. And that's, like, I... It was um, it was almost frustrating at times to be seen as just like a sex object and not a you know person with brains. And yeah, post injury, it was very interesting that suddenly like my intellect was one of the biggest players in the men that decided to you know go on dates with me. I agree. Um, I've definitely felt similarly. We, I think we really are able to um, get on a deeper level a lot um, a lot quicker. And then also just um, people tend to get to know us. I know, you know, I was pretty young as we were, uh, we all were when we were injured. But um, yeah, my relationship is not the depth and I don't think people appreciated my insights the way that I find now, which always feels good. Um, Allie, have you noticed something similar? Honestly, um, not really in my case because before the accident, I was I did have guys notice my intellect, but also from a physical standpoint. So I didn't really have I I think it was on me because I had intimacy issues, so I didn't really want to get to know guys that well because I was always bouncing around the world. So um, my injury kind of forced me to slow down and um, have guys really get to know me. But my fan, my now fiance, he really he really had to work on letting himself in. I mean, it took about six to eight months. Or I would even like really um, accept the concepts of like emotional relationships. So I'm a little bit uh, different in that regard, I think. That, that's really interesting. I, um, so I've definitely heard from plenty of people that um, they tend to um, embrace long-term relationships after injury. And I know for me, um, I think it's actually been a little bit harder. I started saying like, maybe I have commitment issues, um, which you know, as a um, woman in her mid-30s, you know, that that could be relevant to my injury or not. I'm not sure. But I think I do value the choices I make for partners more than um, than I had previously. Um, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, it's, um, it's been interesting. And you get to know, like, like we're mentioning, like you get to know someone pretty well and um, you want to make the right choice. You know, we only have one life to live and I'm... Um, less enthusiastic about wasting my time or someone else, but then at the same time, I also want um, a partner who has qualities that fit my needs more than than I was worried about previously. Um, For out in the world, it's sometimes said that having a disability is a good filter for weeding out jerks, but beyond that, have you noticed any specific qualities or attributes that now stick out um, as unique about the partners each of you have chosen? So, um, as far as, like, my husband goes, um, his, one of his big attributes that I found in the beginning was, um, I knew that he had been a wrestler for a Division One college, uh, (laughs) throughout college, and, um, wrestling is one of those sports that you have to dig deep and stick to it, no matter how sick and tired and sore you feel and that just knowing that he had been a wrestler prior I knew he had that like stick to it attitude where it's like yeah like shit gets hard you know it's 
ugly sometimes, but the reward is big, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, so he was just one of those people that could kind of see that from the very beginning. And so I knew that quality was there with him. And that was one of the qualities that I noticed some of, especially some of the younger guys that I dated post-injury, they wanted to be all in, but they just didn't have that, like, that extra level of commitment, I guess. Whereas, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, Mike is, you know, 11 years older than me, which the age different helps just with maturity factors. And then, um, and then on top of that, you know, he just, he has this, this superhuman ability to, um, to really see past obstacles and be like, yeah, that's going to suck, but we're going to get through it. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to be okay. You know? And so he's a great like supporter in that, um, and early on, he was really honest with me, too, about things like feeling awkward when we went out and seeing people stare at me in the wheelchair, you know, and, like, noticing that and me not noticing it anymore because it was kind of old news for me. But, like, mm-hmm. he was really honest with me about the fact that, like, you know, I feel awkward and, like, yeah, so did I. Like, but it'll pass and you'll get to a point where you don't realize it anymore. And he's just, he's a great communicator, which helps as well. So, like, he's always, he was always able to let me know how things were making him feel or, um, you know, how he felt about situations or if he felt uncomfortable. Um, and so that helped us a lot in the beginning and it still helps us a ton now, right? I mean, communication is key to any relationship but I think when you're dealing with you know our circumstances communication is beyond key because a lot of times you're having to communicate your exact needs to somebody so that they can fulfill them for you Mm -hmm. definitely I agree Um, how about you Ali you know ironically uh, Aaron he's uh, also he was also a wrestler (laughs) Ah, there you go. Yeah, I know. And he had this uncanny ability to just, he didn't even, I don't know, I never felt awkward with guys in the wheelchair. They may have, I just didn't notice. Um, but Aaron, he, even to this day, is like, I never even noticed, like, your wheelchair. I, I thought, I said, you know, mentally you seem perfectly with it, and physically you just wore your disabilities on the outside. And he said, he was so much happier to uh, know exactly what my challenges were than finding out six months later and realizing I would be in that case or something. Um, and he was, you know, so compassionate. He, I was the one that pushed him away for a long time on, like, the whole helping take care of me thing, being a quad. I wanted him to get to know me as a person for a good year before I introduced him to anything on the caregiving front. Um, so we really had the, like, the time and the ability to go out and to know each other. And he was very quick and attentive to pick up on things like, you know, um, moving my feet if they moved off the foot plate, you know, making sure to pull me back in my chair if I slid forward. And I, I talked to him, like, what, what do your friends think and your family? I mean, you're dating this new quadriplegic who, you know, just been in bed for a few months from surgery. And, you know, they must have said something. He goes, yeah, I don't know. You know, they... They thought it was odd, but I have been looking for somebody like you to have intellectual interest in and that I was attracted to for a really long time. And so what? You're in a wheelchair. So, you know, in that regard, I feel really lucky, but I think it's very unique. Um, You know, I don't think a lot of people necessarily have the capability to work past the wheelchair, which is not bad. It's just, you know, everybody can handle what they can. And I normally always say men that are also 10 years older, but he is actually two years younger than I am. <laughs> It'll be good in our older age when he gets to lift me everywhere. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, ladies, I think the problem is I have never dated a wrestler, so um, that's why I. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, we got to just like we got to hook up all the wrestlers with the. I know. Green commitment. We found our new demographic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Ali, you brought up a really interesting um, 
topic that I hadn't um, thought about, but um, I have definitely had the experience where I was then I've gone on a, a date or two with someone new, and um, we had a really great time. Um, uh, in comparison to my former uh, former out of chair life, I definitely would have thought um, something was moving ahead and progressing. But um, that individual has um, maybe gone back home to visit family or um, had friends uh, or someone close to them kind of bring up, you know, well, why do you want to date a a woman in a wheelchair, you know? um, uh, And I've had more than one person who have have been able to tell me some that said that was too much for them and others, like the pressures from others. And then others um, who I ended up having longer-term relationships with have said, yeah, you know, my, my family did ask me. They were a little concerned. Um, but, you know, it didn't matter. And I think that is, um, is uh, you know, obviously important. Um, we need to have someone who's, you know, self-assured and, and feels really good about dating us because we don't want, you know. Yeah, not everybody's and, like that. It's a unique individual that can handle any kind of disability or somebody with cancer or anything that's not normal, so to speak, what people call normal, you know. Right. Right. And yeah, then, and it's so interesting, the external pressures. Yeah, the external pressure thing is huge because there's definitely people out there who are like, yeah, I'm all in, but then when their friends and family don't um, aren't on board, suddenly they start to question, like, whether or not it's right for them. And I, I definitely, mm-hmm. I experienced that somewhat in the dating life. Um, but, um, I mean, even with Mike, like Mike is a crazy outdoorsman, like, you know, summits mountains, goes backcountry skiing, like seven miles, you know, four nights a week to walk, like just to exercise the dogs. Like that's his version of walking the dogs is, you know, backcountry skiing and stuff. I mean, this man is like crazy outdoorsman. And I was also like really into outdoor stuff um prior to my injury yeah um, but he was definitely i mean he had friends whom i absolutely love and adore now but i mean in the beginning they were saying to him like you're dating a woman in a wheelchair like she can't go and do these things with you and you know mike was sitting there and he and he goes well I started doing these things so that I could have fun with my guy friends. And he started doing those things when he was in his previous marriage, um, you know, so that he could get out on his own or do things with his, um, you know, guy friends, um, stuff like that. And so it didn't really make a difference with us because, first of all, I understand the call of the wild and the need to get out there. And so I get his, like, you know, primal urge to do that. And then second of all, it gives us both our own, it gives us space, right, where he gets to go do something that he really enjoys. And I don't have any jealousy towards it. And then, you know, I do the things that I enjoy, and he doesn't have jealousy towards that you know it's like I go to Portland to hang out with my friends and go out to dinner and stuff and don't take him like he doesn't get upset about that so um Lindsay what level are you again I'm C5 incomplete okay so you you can like how incomplete like you can move your hands and stuff or I can move my right hand I have fine motor in my right hand um Uh but I have and I have pretty good motor in my right leg, and oh, then cool. my left, and then my left side is um, it, it has some motor control, so I'm able to like walk with crutches, um, very short distances though, because my left leg is very spastic and contracted, so it can mm-hmm. only go so far before completely fatiguing. And same thing with my left arm, just holding the crutch alone and putting the weight on there. My tricep doesn't like to kick in completely. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so my injury looks a lot more like a stroke in a way. Gotcha. But mm-hmm. um but I definitely I mean I have I have neuropathy from shoulders down. I have I have sensation down to my toes, but it's not normal. Um, yeah. 
you know, everything just feels kind of weird in my body, but I do have. Are you independent or do you have caregivers? Um, I'm independent in a way. Oh, cool. Um, Nice. You know, my husband or our teenager, um, we're guardians of a teenager. Um, He's not like my son, but, um, you know, my husband or or the teenager will help cook at night um, because I just, I can't cook a full meal. It's just too dangerous. I've tried and gotten burned too many times. And then, um, like, house cleaning. I can't do house cleaning on my own. But, um, yeah. but yeah, like, I, I drive um, I, I drive a big truck, and I can load into it using my right side. And I can actually drive without hand controls because my right leg has such good um, reflex and motor function. So oh, I got, nice. I, I, yeah, I really lucked out with my injury with the way that it, that that it went um but yeah so it's an incomplete even though if you look at my spinal cord it looks almost complete so it's it's very strange somehow a bundle of nerves was preserved that um all right take what you can get (laughs) oh my gosh yeah yeah Yeah, well um speaking of, of your um unique physicality Lindsay um I know that for a lot of us, when we're transitioning um, from just a dating relationship to being in a, a full-time partnership and then um, living with someone, there, you know, it ends up having a lot of um, adjustment time and uh, unique situations. Um, can mm-hmm. one of you uh, tell me about what that was like for you? I mean... With Mike and I living together, it's been interesting. Um, at first, we lived together with my parents. And so my parents took care of a lot of just like the, you know, cooking, cleaning, um, yard work. And, you know, Mike helped out with a lot of that stuff. But my parents moved away uh, a little over a year ago. And since then, Mike and I have had to learn to run the house on our own. And we took guardianship of a teenager as well. And so we like to keep things really simple. Um, and um, But one of the things that we've noticed is that, um, you know, especially since I don't have caregivers, but I do need help with a lot of things. Um, one of the things I've done is, like, gotten um a housekeeper and um you know someone who comes over and maybe helps with like meal prep once a week um and things like that and so you know I pay out of pocket for those things but they've certainly helped our relationship because it takes a lot of the stress off of him of having to take care of you know we're on five acres so five acres three dogs tons of vehicles you know he's the amount of work he has to do outside is insane and it's nothing that I can, you know, really be in charge of. And so we found that hiring people to come over and do the things that I can kind of be in charge of, but not do myself. um, That's helped out a ton. So it's really about like balancing, I mean, for us, like balancing that, fine line between I don't want him to, you know, I don't necessarily need a caregiver, but I do need care. And I don't want him to have to take care of me plus everything else, you know? And so, um, so yeah, but I mean, he does do a lot of things to help take care of me, like at night helping position me in bed or, you know, if I'm feeling dysreflexic, like helping me on and off the toilet, you know, and when I travel, he does, he, you know, travels with me to and from school and helps me, you know, with the hotels and everything like that, because they're not set up like home. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just kind of like finding that balance between um, you know, a partner and 
you know, making them not feel like they're taking care of, I don't know. I just never wanted him to feel like he was having to take care of me and being stressed about it. Right. No, I agree. That can be a huge factor in so many relationships. Um, Ali, I know that you utilize caregivers um, for your daily routines. Uh, how do you manage to find the balance? Yeah, I have um, a living caregiver four days a week and then another one 10 hours a day on Monday and Tuesday. And then Aaron and I have like Saturday night, Sunday alone to each other. Um, you know, it took about a year um, for him just coming over a couple times a week before I really let him stay over regularly in like a year and a half, maybe two years, till he was almost living with me. And I really wanted to be careful of that balance of him not feeling like a caregiver, but realizing as we were, you know, kind of approaching being engaged, which we talked about prior, that things were going to have to change a little bit. He's going to have to step up on certain aspects because taking care of like a complete quad and I need, you know, help with bowel program and getting dressed and getting in my chair, everything, right? Um, and he's so nonchalant about it and he never complains, but I'm really cautious about it. Um, so, you know, my mom lives below me right now and she's like, I call her the, you know, she's an endangered species. She's like a super SCI mom. <laughs> And she just does so much, and she still does, even when I tell her not to. Um, so she's up and down a lot, and she cooks a lot. And she, you know, I have people clean the house, but she's always kind of looking after stuff, and I know eventually I'm going to have to adjust without that, and Aaron and I have talked about that. But for the moment, even when it is Aaron and myself, um, we're always going to have, you know, there'll be times when you have to go to like 10 caregivers before you find a great one, and we accept that those are going to be rough months, you know, but when you find one, it, you know, even if it's like eight or ten hours, it takes that time off of him for not having to take care of me as much. Um, he's perfectly capable of giving me a shower and washing my hair and doing my morning program and changing my catheter. And he's, especially when we go on vacations, which allows that freedom, I think, which is really nice. Um, I think I make a bigger deal out of it than he does. He's so nonchalant and he's just so easygoing. I, you know, sometimes can't believe it. You know, I do have to stay on him about certain things because he's a guy, after all, you know. <laughs> but, but, uh, but for the most part, um, you know, I think we found, like, a good balance. But it happened very slowly and over time, and it was mostly my doing. But, you know, I do get frustrated sometimes that I can't just get up and go do my own thing, and I need help all the time. Like, that is challenging, but that's my issue, it's not his. Right, but that is so common, um, I feel, you know, we we want to, to be able to do things on our own. I know, um, like, stating my level of independence early on in a relationship is really important to me, um, despite the fact that it's not that I'm necessarily doing things by myself, but just that I don't need them to take care of me, you know, that I have all those things in place um, so they can see that. And then, of course, over time, like I've mentioned, people do like helping out, and it becomes way more convenient if someone's able to help you into bed. You don't need to get someone to, you know, pop up and potentially, um, you know, cloud whatever uh, romantic or romance is happening at that moment to get somebody to come exactly. in. Exactly. Like, All right. I think a really big. Yeah. Go ahead. I think a really big challenge too, though, is finances, right? So if you have the finance to be able to pay for it, because I have to pay out of pocket too, right? An insurance company is not going to pay for a living caregiver. You know? And if you have the finances to do that, I think it takes a huge load off a relationship. And if you don't have the finances to have somebody help out, I think it, I, I feel that it's, it can, has the potential to be a completely different relationship and things can go sometimes a little bit more sideways because you're relying on this other human being to take care of you all the time because you guys can't like afford a regular caregiver. And I've run into that a lot with my friends and their relationships, too, it breaks my heart, you know? So I think it's, it's yeah, you know, case-by-case yeah. case basis. Yeah, they get, well, you know, there's a there's a thing called caregiver burnout, and, you know, it yeah. happens with, you know, families, like parents taking care of children with disabilities or, you know, spouses or children of, you know, older, um, of their older parents, you know, taking care of their older parents and stuff. It's a very recognized phenomenon in healthcare, and you know when it happens in a relationship, that's a really oh. tough thing. Because yeah, you know how do you how do you handle that um, if you can't afford you know getting someone there to to give the person a break? Like you know what what I would imagine terrifying. 
And it's got to be terrifying. I mean, I've been in a couple situations myself where I'm like, okay, if this person can't take care of me and the caregiver doesn't come, I'm literally scared. Like, how am I going to survive the day? And yeah, I think it creates a lot of fear and anxiety for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. it can, I mean, it can probably have a lot of um, a lot to do with like making or breaking trust as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, trust in relationships is so important. And you know, even if the caregiver is doing the best job that they can if you're not feeling like your needs are met or like you're not feeling safe all the time, that can ruin trust in the relationship, even if it's not, nobody's doing anything untrustworthy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, definitely that dynamic between having other people in your house and then having um, a partner who, especially when you're sharing um, your dwelling, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of extra company and there's a lot of different um, things that we kind of have to work around. Um, You know, I know that there's a little bit of strife between someone I'm dating and my live-in caregiver. That makes things harder for me, you know, and so um, uh, have any of you or either of you um, experienced something like that or have a specific scenario that sticks out? With living caregivers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have lived and I've always had lived in you know, at first I thought it would be really awkward because it's like you can't, can't walk around the naked. That's why we try to have, like, a day alone. But, you know, there are certain times where the doors close. It's just, like, Aaron and me time. But, you know, I took a lot of adjustment to have another human being live in all the time. I mean, for me, I've had it for eight and a half years, so I'm, it's, I'm really just used to it. It's not really a big deal. But I know for a lot of people it's, it's challenging. And Aaron, he is, like, he's like a superstar. He, he just doesn't care. And he's like, whatever. <laughs> I uh, mm-hmm. work around them, so it's good sport. Right, yeah. Having a partner that is, you know, down for whatever and, and has a can-do attitude is, yeah, so important. So I'm, I know for me, and it makes puts everybody at ease because I do want to keep, you know, the people who work for me um, comfortable as well, and it helps my relationship dynamics. And then, of course, then the newer man or whomever is going to feel a lot more comfortable in my house and um, kind of feel like we're working as a team. You know, Lindsay, you have a lot of people in and out of your house. Do you have um, any kind of... Um, well, I mean... In, you yeah, I mean, like, in the beginning when Mike and I were dating, you know, I, I, live with my, I lived with my parents, and I still live in their home. And um, it was interesting, like, because Mike moved in with us probably, oh six to eight months after we started dating he moved in with me and my parents and Mm -hmm. um that was really interesting like having that dynamic um and you know most of the time everything was great and everybody got along but every once in a while there were just you know things that would get under people's skin and then there would be some conflict that we'd have to work through and, yeah, I mean, and it wasn't even, like, a caregiver. This is my parents. And so it was mm-hmm. a very interesting dynamic to have. Oh, yeah, I had my parents, too. I, it's embarrassing. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's like, you know, having to close the door and lock it and, like, say to your parents, like, don't come down here because they're used to just, like, coming down and walking in my room to say something to me, you know. And so <clears throat> there were some awkward moments for sure. And then just, you know, personality differences. And, um, you know, my husband is a little more, um, he's a little m- more spontaneous and impulsive than my dad. And my dad tends to be more like, you know, slow moving and steady. And so they would have some disagreements about, you know, how things should be built or how the garage should be or, you know, things like that. And so we'd have to have some, I guess, family meetings every once in a while. Um, But, you know, we worked through it. And my parents obviously fell in love with Mike and, you know, so much so, and Mike fell in love so much so with our family that he ended up taking my last name when we got married. Really? Uh, oh, you need to talk to Aaron because I really want him to do that too. 
You know, I didn't even ask Mike to. I I was just planning on keeping my last name, and I figured Mike would keep his. And then one day we were driving, and he just goes, you know, I live with your family in your family home. We're going to raise our kids in the Freisinger family home. And he's like, so our kids need to be Freisingers. That was like, wow. That's amazing. So, yeah. So, you know, they, um, yeah. And I mean, my dad and Mike have such a good relationship that Mike, got my dad back into wrestling in his 50s and my dad's gone on to like win national championships and stuff in his age group and you know be lifting records and things like that after training with Mike so they've become they've become quite the good buddies but it did take some time right yeah we'll get to get to know everyone so well and yeah we I mean, our lives are pretty free of modesty, uh, at least for me, I can say that. And so um, I feel like people, yeah, they do. They get to see so much about you right away and meet all your family pretty uh, pretty quick and in a pretty uh, full frontal way. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit um, about uh, some things like, um, Ali, you mentioned the ability to travel with your partner, which for me, um, that that was huge. Um, and feeling comfortable letting someone help me completely, um, you know, and be able to go on, on an overnight with someone without needing to bring a caregiver was pretty huge. And also, um, yeah, letting someone help me with things like showers and bowel programs, um, uh, it's a big step. And it, for me, every person I've, you know, been able to do that with, it's meant um, so much to me. Are there um, some other things like that that you um, have really come to uh, appreciate about being in a long-term partnership? A long-term partnership? Um, yeah. Well, I've always, I've always prized myself on being able to take care of myself, um, and mm-hmm. I always had trouble opening up emotionally. And so Aaron has really, you know, I really prized him, leaving even spinal cord injury aside, having the ability to get me to open up over time and to trust him. And those little things like, you know, going on our first vacation, we took a cruise together last year for the first time alone. And I was terrified. Not that, you know, we were going to have a bad time, but he had to straighten my hair and and get on my clothes. And, and for me, that caregiving stuff, while it's just physical, for me that's a lot more emotional than maybe for other people because, you know, once I opened up and we were in a extended relationship, that part's easy but for me to let him, you know, straighten my hair, get my clothes, or put me in my wheelchair, I mean, that really took a tremendous amount of trust. And once we kind of got through that vacation, I realized that, you know, I can spend my life with this man because he is not going to let anything happen to me because I realized it wasn't his fault, but over the last eight and a half years, other than my mom, who has been, like, such a trooper, and she never had SDI burnout, which I don't know how, but she hasn't. You know, I've been through so many tumultuous caregivers that I constantly live in fear of, like, which one's going to leave in the middle of the night or this. So I have a a big trust issue. And, you know, I think I've unfortunately projected that onto him unconsciously for a long time. And after that, you know, vacation, I came to appreciate and realize that this guy is not going anywhere. He's not going to leave. And that was kind kind of like a big breakthrough for us, I think. That's when we started talking about marriage afterwards, so it must have been good, a good vacation. <laughs> I agree. I had a similar, my first big overnight weekend with um, one of my first really long-term boyfriends on the way home. Yeah, we started talking about marriage because having that safety net is huge, especially when our lives are, um, you know, somewhat fluid with having people come in and out of our lives. And we have family members, but um, as we get older, you know, we realize that we need other, you know, um, people we can trust and rely on. So, you know, for me, that's something huge in a relationship. Um, Lindsay, what one of your surprise benefits that maybe isn't really intuitive, like in, intuitive? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I mean, I think that, like, um, with Mike, I've definitely been a lot more open than I've ever been in past relationships, just about, like, how I'm feeling and, you know, things like that. And, 
a lot of it has to do with like even just like being able to tell him like ooh this like situation or this restaurant or this place like makes me feel anxious and I may not be able to say why but I just know like certain sensory experiences are too much for me now um with like all my neuropathy and pain and stuff oh wow such a good point yeah and Mm -hmm. so like being in like a really loud place or feeling like I'm feeling like I'm trapped someplace so like if I have to go someplace with my crutches and then sit down and it's not like an easy place for me to get up and down from and like I'm going to need help I'll sometimes get this feeling of like oh my gosh I'm trapped and um, it's taken him you know it's taken us both time to really be able to like for me to be able to verbalize it before I go into complete panic mode um but, I mean, it's at the point now where he can just look at me and he knows, like, hey, something's up. Do you need to get out of here? And he'll get me out of the situation pretty quickly. And it's it's strange because, like, you know, I'll go to, like, rock concerts and be totally fine. But then, I mean, I remember one night being at my friend's house for watching, like, a fight on TV. And I'd been there many times to watch fights on TV and it's, like, down in their basement, and I was sitting down watching it, and all of a sudden, this just wave of panic came over me, and I looked up at Mike, and he scooped me up over his shoulder and carried me up the stairs instead of me having to use my crutches, because he could just see it, and he's like, he's like, you did not look comfortable down there, and I was like, nope, I wasn't at all, thank you for saving me, you know, and, um, so that's something that's been, like, a really nice, um, I don't know, like, a nice benefit for us because we we can almost read each other's emotions now just by the way, just by body language. And it's because we have to be so open with how situations are making us feel that then we're able to pick up on the other cues, you know. Yeah. That's a really that's a really good point about pain. I, I have the same thing. Aaron can look at me and he's like, babe, we're going home. And, like, mm-hmm. in the afternoons, my pain gets really bad, especially in the weekdays after I've been exercising and working all day. And during the weekdays, some couples go to dinner, but we just snuggle up and watch movies and have conversations and stuff, and he's totally okay doing that, which is it's nice having someone to be able to, like, you know, sense your, your how you're feeling before you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that Mike, yeah, Mike can tell, like, he can tell if I'm constipated because I'll be more, like, snippy with him. And he'll be like, oh, babe, are you constipated? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I am. Like, it has been three days, you know? And it's just, like, one of those things where I'm like, I don't even realize it. But he can tell because of, you know, the past of when I've been you know, gotten super annoyed and stuff and then been like, oh, wait, I'm constipated. Like, that's just making me, you know, on edge. Right. And having somebody who's, like, comfortable with our vulnerabilities or I know for me there's times when I come home and if I'm cold and hurting, I'm, like, I'm going to bed. I'm going to put my covers over my head and I have, like, a heating pad and, you know, I have... Oh, heating pads. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful if somebody's like, this is fine, and I will sit over here and talk to you through, you know, your blanket mountain. That's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love it. It's, it's really nice those to have are, those connections. Those are the most important moments to me, actually, the ones where I'm not feeling well, and he'll just come snuggle up under my heating pad with me and just, like, nuzzle in my neck while I just need to lay still and not be touched, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I've yeah, somebody the- who can who just feel comfortable. That's- yeah, I often tell people, like, um, for me, like, sex isn't intimacy. Intimacy is, like, when I'm having the worst day possible and, you know, not in a good mood and maybe taking it out on him and he still comes and holds me, you know, or he still brings me a washcloth for my forehead, you know, like, those types of things. It's just, like, that's, like, that's romance. That's intimacy. Yeah. I, agree. I agree. Yeah. 
yeah, like so much of that um, really gets reframed for us. And, yeah, and those little moments. And I, I really loved it when, um, you know, you don't always expect it from um, a male partner. But people have noticed those bits of intimacy. And um, I found people, you know, like I said, they've gone out of their way to say, I really appreciate this. This is um, a dynamic in a relationship I never would have expected to um, to really, you know, Safer, but I I do I like being able to do this stuff and you know I don't I don't mind that you're struggling you know we're all we're all struggling so mm-hmm. uh, it's just such a a wonderful thing about you know the benefits of having a partner. Um, yeah, Julie, my last question is to ask both of you ladies um, to give your advice on um, other women who are looking for love or just thinking about getting back into the dating world after an SCS. Um. My big advice is, I mean, as far as online dating goes, just do it. Just put, I mean, it's so low risk. It's free. Put your pictures up there. Put a little profile up there and then just see what happens. And it's, you don't have to talk to anybody, you know, and you don't, you don't have to interact if you don't want to, but you can just see what happens. And just mm-hmm. like like Allie did, like experiment with it, turn it into not a my, not, not mine is in the extreme. <laughs> yeah, I love that, man. That is so my style, like type A to the to the nth degree. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I categorized boys as well. I didn't have an Excel spreadsheet, but I had one in my head. <laughs> yeah, I would also say that, you know. Because a lot of us can get very sensitive and self-conscious of our disabilities, that when you get, like, I guess, rejected or somebody can't handle that, it can be easy to take that as an attack on, oh, well, they they don't, it's the SCI, they can't handle that. But realizing that not everybody can handle that, right, a disability or somebody who's 600 pounds. You know, everybody has their different types and um, just not taking it too personally if it doesn't work out the first time or two and giving up on it. I mean, it takes a while. I have to go through like twelve. Right, and and it's like it's one. If they are, if they're deciding that they, you know, can't continue dating or don't want to date because of the wheelchair or the disability, that is one hundred percent them. That is not you, right? Like that's on them. That's their own comfort. And it really has nothing to do with you. You couldn't, you know, and it's kind of the same thing with guys who like tall girls or short girls or blondes or brunettes or, you know, there, there's just, there's preferences for um, for people, right? And if there's a connection, that's great. But if they end up saying that, you know, they have to break things off because they can't handle the disability. You know what? More power to them for saying that for being honest. You know, right. and and just don't take that personally because it's not it's not personal at all. Yeah, I, I and agree. For a lot of us, we're, we're going to be the first person in a wheelchair, and somebody has dated and. Okay, um, but we get to kind of be um, a little, be, uh, you know, representative of that. And um, really my biggest advice to myself is just to let yourself, let your personality shine, you know. Um, mm-hmm. People don't need to, be, need to be stuck on that. They will fall in love with you as a person. And like we mentioned before, a lot of times people kind of forget about our um our physical functioning, you know, and they just love you as a person. So um, I think being open-minded and being patient and letting yourself get out and actually interact, you know, um, doing things online is great and it's a great study, but I, I really do find the face-to-face can be, um, it's so impactful. And um, I think a lot of people would be pleasantly surprised. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Even- even the failed one, even the, you know, guys that I dated that didn't end up being, I don't even want to say failed, but didn't end up being long-term partners. Um, they were great people, and I loved meeting them, and we did fun things. And it's the thing, sure. with, like, dating, like, if it doesn't work out, so what? You went out and saw a movie and had a good dinner, or, you know what I mean? Like, 
there's you you can always look at the negative side of things but try to see you know try to look at the positive of it like all right I learned this about myself tonight or I learned you know that I need a person that can do x y or z mm-hmm. and not being discouraged when the first time doesn't work out the first date I had the guy stood me up he's a fireman and then he texted like a day later he's like oh I had this I go no you didn't you just didn't, you, you got nervous. You got cold feet. And he's like, okay, yeah, I did. I got cold feet. I was like, well, you see, it doesn't matter from a wheelchair. You can't do that to a woman. That's just rude, man. <laughs> and, you know, I just moved on, but I know a lot of my girlfriends that would be devastated and they'd be like, that's it. I'm not online dating. horrible, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have to find our, our resiliency that we, we find so often in our, our day-to-day life. But we have to, you know, dating is no different. Allie, I have to tell you, this is hilarious, but the first date that I went on was a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> That's so funny. No. I was so excited so. for him to lift me up and throw me on the bed, but alas, it did not happen. I had to wait for my wrestler. <laughs> yeah, so, I love, you know, we started I think, with the firefighters and ended with the wrestlers. So, yeah, we had the same surgery. Uh, yeah, on that note, oh, everyone beat a wrestler, but um, stay away from firefighters. Is that a thing? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? They're, they're, <laughs> they're firefighters have all had multiple marriages anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so it's much, um, ladies, for joining us today and um, sharing so much about your personal romantic lives. Um, it's been lovely. It was such a pleasure speaking with you, ladies. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. This is really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank well, you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Okay. Yeah, you too. Bye. All right, bye.